I was just waiting. I was just waiting because I want to say something this morning. The first thing I want to say to you all is this beautiful two words, Happy Easter. Happy Easter. What an amazing phrase. Happy Easter. That is an incredible phrase. I mean, it's a phrase that means so much. It's a phrase that I'm going to spend the next half an hour talking about. That is how significant that phrase is. Happy Easter. And if you're here for the first time, if you're here for many, you've been here many times, I say the same thing to you this morning. Happy Easter. They are incredible words. God forbid those words should ever become like a very kind of just casual thing that we say and we forget their meaning. This actual phrase, Happy Easter. We're a very simple church. We're a very simple church that teaches something very, very simple, and that is the love of Jesus Christ. Amen. Why we do that is because we believe that when you come to know the love of Jesus Christ, your life can, your life can never be the same again. Amen. And that's why we get, we get excited about something like Easter. Happy Easter. God forbid it becomes just like another phrase that we use. You know when people say, have you had that experience people say to you, like, how are you? And you kind of... You kind of don't know whether they really want to know or not, not want to know. And it just becomes like a, a word that we use for each other. Well, how are you? How are you? Good, good. And, and it actually just becomes like another phrase. Like you, someone comes up to you and says, how are you? And you say, oh, you're not that good. And Oh, really? Well, my day was like, and they go on about their day. It's like completely ignored what you responded because they're really not meaning when they say, how are you? They're just kind of being polite that they can sort of launch into their own thoughts. God forbid that we would actually start using the word Happy Easter in that way, that we would actually understand the significance. I mean, look around you. People whose lives are changed, um, evidence of the Spirit of God still working today, 2,000 years after Jesus rose from the dead. And so we, are, we love this phrase, Happy Easter. Say it confidently to one another. Say it proudly to one another because the Lord Jesus Christ is risen. When I first met my wife, I got introduced to her family, when I got introduced to her family at Easter time, I love the Greek tradition. Those of you who are Greek among us, I love the Greek tradition because they don't say Happy Easter to one another, they use a different phrase. And I love this phrase, dare I say, even more than Happy Easter. They use this phrase that we have up here. He's risen. Christos Aneste. He's risen. I love that phrase. And then the response... The response is even just more powerful. The response is normally, is normally, he has risen indeed. He has risen indeed. Could you imagine two Christians like that, genuine Christians like that? I hope I said it right. I hope I said it correctly. But imagine two Christians who meet each other and the Christians who know, who know that they know, that you know, that I know, yeah? And it's like, it's like, Christos and Esther. Yeah, Elephos and Esther. And they, and they say, all the Christians who are really proud of, of what they know, and they say, Christos, yes, he is risen indeed. But that look, you know, I know, don't you? You know, that he's risen, that he's risen indeed. And it's a very beautiful, it's a beautiful phrase. He is risen, he is risen indeed. There is every reason to celebrate the risen Christ. Let me pray for us before I share with you from God's word. Just bow our heads together and let's pray. Ask the Lord's blessing uh, upon this morning and the things that I'd like to share with you and our thoughts. Father God, we just thank you for your presence among us. Nothing to fear, but only an opportunity to believe. Even though this world is more and more uh, in a hopeless state, we believe without any shadow of doubt that you continue to bring hope into this world because Christ is risen and he is risen indeed. Father, we pray you bless this morning and every heart that is here. May they get a fresh look at who you are and what you've done. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, it's really interesting because I want to share with you some thoughts from the Bible. Uh, one verse in the book, book of Romans, and I want to read a story in the book of Acts, hopefully before the end of the message. But today there are so many different ideas about the resurrection, and it's no different it's no different to what used to happen in the days of Jesus. No different at all. There's all these theories and thoughts about the resurrection. Did it happen? Did it not happen? Is it just a theory? Is it just made up? Is it a lie? All these things that people talk about today. Do you know what? There's actually nothing new about that. That was going on. The idea of a resurrection, the concept of a res and the debate that was going on was happening many, many years ago. It was even happening at the time of Jesus. So it's nothing new 
Because the devil's very smart, and he's alive, and he's very smart. And what he does, he says, he knows that if he can actually somehow convince you that there is no such thing as a resurrection, that what he's done, the Bible says, what he's done is that he's made the faith of Christians empty. He knows that he's done that because it becomes like the cornerstone of what we believe. He knows that if he can convince you there is no such thing as a resurrection, then he knows the Christian faith has gutted. Therefore, therefore, God knows that it's so insignificant and important that you and I continue to uphold and believe the very truth that Jesus Christ rose from the dead because it brings hope back into the lives of people. Look around you and you see hopelessness. And when Christ rose from the dead, what he did, he smashed hopelessness and he rose. He rose and brought life or hope back into the life of people. That's his whole intention. And so what people look at him and they think resurrection and they spit at the idea of a resurrection. And all Jesus was saying was, you know what? I want to bring hope back into your life. I want to bring hope into darkness. I want to bring hope back into brokenness. And some of you in this room know about brokenness more than others. Some of you understand really the depth of brokenness. You understand the depth of rejection. You understand the depth of loneliness. And what Jesus is doing, and he rose from the dead, he wanted to bring hope back into hopelessness because he gave life. He wanted to bring life. And so the devil, even though the devil is, um, the devil can't create, can he? He can't create like God creates, but certainly he's very creative. He's very, very creative, and it's very fascinating the different thoughts and ideas that he's used to try and convince people that there's no resurrection. And there's all these theories. If you look up on just, you can just Google. There's all these theories of, why, of the proof that Jesus didn't rise again. It's, it's humorous. But you know, I find one of the most humorous theories, I'll just share with you one. One of the most humorous theories that says Jesus didn't rise again is the theory that the disciples stole his body. I mean, Seriously? They stole his body? Listen, listen, look at how serious, look at how, look at how humorous it is. Here's the disciples, they're not warriors, fishermen, going to the tomb. Massive stone in the front of the tomb. Two guards in front of the tomb. How on earth are they going to steal the body? Unless they were like Ocean's Eleven or something, you know, to come in. And, how are they going to steal the body of Christ? And then, what's more bizarre is this. If they were to um, steal the body of Jesus, they're stealing a dead body, the body of Jesus, and then to somehow resuscitate him, make him look really, really good so they can go and tell the world that he's alive. And then, not only that, to convince themselves they've stolen the body, they've kind of propped him up to make him look alive, and then to go and die for their faith. Humorous, it's ridiculous, it makes you laugh. At the idea, because beloved, the reason why it's ridiculous is because there's only one truth. Jesus Christ rose from the grave. And all the theories in the world doesn't, um, doesn't uh, cut it, because at the end of the day, you can have all these theories, but the devil knows that if he can convince people, he can um, uh, uh, ruin the faith of, of Christians. But we know that he is... He is arisen. And so if people try and disprove, disprove the faith of the resurrection, you know, they've got a few battles in their hand because, okay, you can try and disprove the faith of Jesus Christ, but you, then you've got to go and disprove the fact that Lazarus came back from the dead. And then you've got to go and disprove that the little girl Jesus rose from the dead came back from the dead. You've got a lot of big job on your hands. But Jesus Christ came alive again. He came because he came to bring hope back into a world that is very, 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 very broken. Um. The Pharisees and the Sadducees in that day, they're just big words. To pick. They're like groups of people in the days of Jesus. They were a group called the Pharisees. Would you like to be called that? A Pharisee or a Sadducees? And so they were two groups of people who debated about the resurrection. So the, the issue of a resurrection always existed. One group said, no, there's no resurrection. The other group said, yeah, there is a resurrection. And they had this debate. And so Jesus settled the matter when he went to Lazarus, who was dead in the grave. And Martha, whose heart was broken because her brother was dead, said to Jesus, oh, if he only had come earlier, my my brother, he'd be alive. And Jesus said, do you believe he's going to rise again? And Martha said, yeah, in the resurrection, he's going to rise again. And Jesus kind of just took it to a whole other level. He said, you know what? I am the resurrection and the life. If you believe in me, though you die, you shall have life again. 
So he settled the matter once and for all. All these debates, all these, there's resurrection, there's no resurrection. Jesus said, you know what, let me settle the matter. Let me, se- let me settle the matter very, very simply for you. I am the resurrection and the life. That he came to bring life and he came to bring life more abundantly. And Lazarus is a beautiful example of someone who's risen from the dead like us, because the Bible describes us when before you know Jesus Christ, you're just wallowing in your sin. And the Bible says you are dead in your sin because you don't really know life. You're breathing, but you don't really know life. And he says you've risen from the dead and then until a resurrection to come. Lazarus is a beautiful picture of that. Friends, let me tell you something this morning. The battle of the resurrection is not an intellectual one. It's a spiritual one. It's not a question of intelligence without sounding overdramatic, but I need to be because it is, it's a question of life and death. It's not a question of intelligence. It's not about how smart you are, can you work it out. It's about life and death. And the Bible says that there is a way that seems right to a man. In other words, man, men and women think they've got it right, I've worked it out. There's a way that seems right to a man, but the end of that path is death. And God wants to spare you from that. He wants to spare you from the end of that path. And he says, you know why I'm going to spare you from that path or that leads to death? It's my son who rose from the grave to give you life. And this becomes the hope of the resurrection. It's very, very simple, beloved. Unless you can disprove, unless you can disprove the resurrection, unless you can confidently disprove the resurrection, I have one word for you, and that's commitment. You have to make a commitment to Jesus Christ. Because the resurrection proves that you're a sinner, like me. The resurrection proves that we need a saviour. And the resurrection proves that there's life after death. And unless you can confidently, in all your conscience, unless you can confidently disprove the resurrection, the one word I have for you this morning is this, is commitment. You have to commit your life to Jesus Christ. Because the resurrection proves again that we are sinners, We need a saviour and there is life after death. And we've got to deal with this. I love the resurrection. You know, when I first became a Christian, I was like 16, 17 years old. And I got my license and I was a very eager driver. I first got my license. And uh, one of the ways I used to express my faith as a young driving teenager, uh, uh, like stickers on my windows of my car. And the one sticker I loved on my car was this. The sticker said this, Jesus is alive and well I spoke with him this morning. I loved it. I loved it. And I used to drive my car knowing it was on my car. I was a young Christian. I was enthusiastic. But it was, and, 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 and there should be not only young, enthusiastic teenagers. There should be old, enthusiastic adults as well. And so this sticker, Jesus is alive and well. I spoke to him this morning because this is the truth. If you, you can try and disprove the resurrection, but boy, you've got a big problem ahead of you. Just speak to any Christian who will say to you, what? What do you mean he's dead? I spoke to him. I spoke to him this morning. And he's as real to me, beloved. He's as real to me as you are to me. That Jesus is alive and well, I spoke to him this morning. I want to share with you one verse from the book of Romans. If you go to, with me to Romans chapter 4. If you haven't got a Bible, that's fine. I'll just read out this verse to you. Romans chapter 4. It's one verse. And then I want to read a story from Acts chapter 3. Um, and this verse, you know, there are some verses in the Bible that kind of just sum it up for us. They kind of just tell us what it is in a single, simple verse. And this is one of those verses. You know, the other verse that people often quote, of course, is John 3.16. You know, for God so loved the world that he gave his son, that if you do do believe him, you don't perish, you have everlasting life. We heard it so beautifully articulated by God's spirit on Friday night, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's That's one of those verses that captures That captures all that God did for us. This is another one of those verses that captures. And it's in Romans chapter 4, verse 25. The Bible says this. Who, that's referring to Jesus, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised up because of our justification. Now, I'm going to explain that a little bit, so don't get too worried about the words. He was delivered up Listen, to, listen firstly how God puts it. He was delivered up, meaning he was crucified for our offenses. Not because of what he did. He was delivered up for our, my offenses, and he was raised up for my justification. 
Beautiful picture. Beautiful picture of what Jesus did. One reason he died was for a certain reason, and the reason he rose was for a certain reason. And I'll, I'll explain that in a moment. But I want to ask you this first of all. Ever felt that you're living more by your past than your present? Do you feel like that this morning? Do you feel like you live more by your past than, your, than the present? In other words, the things you've done in the past continue to haunt you. Your regrets, the things you've done, uh, your conscience, the things that you're reminded of. Uh, perhaps even people remind you of it. Not only your own conscience reminds you of it, but do you ever feel like you're living more in the past than you are in the present? And that's kind of your existence. And there are days you just feel like, I just can't forget what I've done. I'm sure there's people here that feel like that. Have you felt like you live today by a mold, by a mold that the world demands? Do you ever feel like that? Do you ever get up in the morning and think to yourself, really, is this all it is, another day of this? Another day that the world is telling me that I've got to have this and I've got to go there and I've got to work like this and I've got to buy that and I've got to create this and I've got to establish this. Have you ever felt like, do you feel sometimes that's how you're living life? Like you're living by a mold that the world has created for you. And then you think you get really creative, you think oh, I'm going to try and break this mold and you go do something really adventurous like jump out of a plane. I don't know. You, you take a risk-taking activity because you've got to break the mold of life and you think that is breaking the mold by doing something really adventurous. It's not breaking the mold. You're just establishing another mold for yourself. But do you feel like that sometimes? Do you feel like sometimes you're living life by a mold that you haven't told yourself but others are telling you how to live it? What you should do, what career you should have, who you should meet, who you should go, a mold that the world has created. Or even this one. Do you ever feel sometimes you're living by a set of principles? By a set of principles. If I do this, 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 I'm destined for success. And you live by a set of principles because you think to yourself, surely we live in an enlightened age that have taught us how to be successful and happy in our lives. And if only if I do A, B, C, D, I'm going to really experience life. And you live by a set of principles only to discover that a new principle comes out. And you think, oh, no, that's the principle I have to live by now. Interesting, isn't it? Principles like use the power of dreams and your imagination or think bigger than you are, or set goals along the way. And I don't have a problem with living by principles, but do you, have a, do you find that's what you just end up doing? That's what you just end up doing. You live by principles. So I don't know, beloved, whether you're the sort of person this morning who feels sometimes you're living more by the past than the present, that sometimes you're actually feeling like you're living by a mold that the world has created, or living by a set of principles, I've got some good news for you this morning. Listen to this. Very, very simple good news. It's three words. He is risen. He is risen. And what he has come to do is come to break all that and to establish a hope that he knows is in you because he knows what you're made of, who you are, and he knows truly what is going to bring life out of you. And he says, look to my son who is risen, who was delivered up for your offenses and who was raised up for your justification. So the verse is saying very, something very simple. Jesus Christ was crucified because we have sinned. Because we sinned. And what he did was this. He settled our sin before God and then he was raised up so that we could find favor with God. And those who are Christian who know the resurrection understands this, that God is not against them, he is for them. God doesn't stand in opposition to them. He stands in support of them. God doesn't reject them. He embraces them. He was delivered up for our sin, and then he was raised up so we can find favor with God, our justification. The psalmist understood this. 
He said this, listen to this verse, I'll just read it out to you. He says, if you, Lord, should mark iniquity, sin, who should stand? Who could stand? Do you understand that verse? God is, God, the psalmist is saying to God, God, if you kept a record of my sin, boy, I have, this, I have no hope. If you kept a record of my sin, I am hopeless. I've done things, God, I'm ashamed of. I've done things I'm embarrassed of. I've got things I'm regretful of. But Lord, if you were to record these sins, I have nowhere to go. But, he says, there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. He goes, God, if you were to mark sins, forget it, over, done, I'm gone forever. But with you, God, there is forgiveness. And because there is forgiveness, there is hope. Because there is hope, there is life. And so you were delivered up for my offenses, my sin, and then you were raised up so I can find favor with you. Because Jesus Christ rose from the dead, he brought hope back into hopelessness. So one word for you is commitment. Where is Jesus for you? Is he still in the grave? Kind of just doing nothing for you? Or is he alive and working in your heart to the point where you can openly declare that even if the greatest evidence came before you and said he didn't rise, you could look at it and think, what a joke. He is alive. He's alive and he's changed my life. He's taken the addict to be free. He has taken the broken to be healed. He has taken the lost to be found because they have experienced the resurrected Christ. It's like the little girl in Sunday school who they were talking how Jesus was everywhere. The teacher was saying how Jesus was everywhere and the girl was saying, no, he's not. And they're saying, no, no, he's everywhere. Jesus is everywhere. And I'm like, no, 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 he's not. Oh, tell me, why do you think he's not everywhere? Because she says to the teacher, because he's not in the grave. He's not. He is resurrected from the grave, bringing hope back into, back into hopelessness. Because, beloved, God, is, uh, God, can raise from the, God has raised him from the dead, this demands, this demands that we do something about this, and that is our commitment. I want to go to um, one last story I want to read with you, and that's in Acts chapter 3. So if you can turn to the book of Acts for me, please. Acts chapter 3. And I wanted to share with you... Um, just uh, this story, wonderful story of how Jesus was alive and doing what he had to do uh, right at the time of uh, his resurrection. In Acts chapter 3, proving again and again how much he is working powerfully in the lives of those who trust him. In the lives of those who trust him. I want to share with you, just to, just to sort of wrap this up this morning, uh, just to leave you with some thoughts this morning, I want to share with you some thoughts that if you've trusted in the resurrected Christ, in other words, if you put your faith in the resurrected Christ, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share with you um, some thoughts of what you will experience, what would be your experience when you put your trust in the resurrected Christ. These are three experiences that I believe you are without a doubt going to experience, okay? Because this is what God promises you. This is what he promises those who put their trust in the resurrected Christ. Not those who uh, assume a resurrection, not those who say to themselves, oh, you may be, but these are people who turn around and say to God, God, I have no doubt whatsoever that you gave your son, delivered him up for my sins, rose him uh, for my justification to find favor with you. This is going to be your experience. Now, if this is not your experience, the good news is this, it can be. It can be. Because the resurrected Christ doesn't turn around and say, just you, uh, just you and just you. He doesn't do that. He says, come unto me. Come unto me, those who labor and are heavy laden. Do you know what that feeling's like? Do you know the feeling of feeling like, really? That's what life's about? Trying to please people? Trying to get more than what you have? Trying to be someone that you're not all the time? Your pride is driving you. Your possessions are driving you. Jesus says, stop. Come unto me, those who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. And he invites it open to all of you because he's risen, he's, he's alive, he's doing what has to be done and he still continues to knock on the doors of people's hearts and say, can you hear my voice that says, I'm alive, I'm living, 
I'm speaking to you. You need to do something about this. So this is bringing hope back into hopelessness. There are three experiences that you're going to experience if you put your faith in a resurrected Christ. And the first one is this, that all your past is dealt with. Isn't that awesome? All your past is dealt with. Christians use a word called forgiveness. All your past is dealt with. I don't know if there can be a greater hope than that. I don't know if there can be a greater hope that says all your past has been dealt with. In other words, people like to bring up your past. Your conscience likes to bring up your past. Things happen to remind you of your past and God says, stop. Your past is dealt with. It's forgiven. Did you trust me? Was I delivered up for your offenses? Did I go to the cross for your sins? So bring every regret, every thought, everything that you think you've done wrong, everything that has people remind you of, and lay it at the foot of the cross and watch the Lord Jesus Christ wash it away. And then you can stand, and I say this loosely, then you can stand proudly, you can stand proudly and say, really? My past? What past? What past are you talking about? The past that Jesus dealt with, well, he remembers it no more. Why should I remember? It's not like Jesus keeps a secret file. He doesn't keep a secret file and flick through the secret file and says, every time you mark up and say, yeah, and remember that time too? He doesn't do that. He burns the file. He throws it out because he is, this is the, what we call the completeness of forgiveness. Is this forgiveness? Is this, what, this is what we believe in because the Bible teaches that all our sin has been dealt with, raised up for our offenses, sorry, delivered up for our offenses, raised up for our justi- justification. Listen to this. The Bible tells us that if the spirit of him, Romans 8, the spirit of him who, who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. That's Romans 8. Bit of a complicated verse that means this. That if the spirit of Christ that was so powerful was able to raise him from the dead. Imagine how powerful that spirit is. I don't know, do you have that? Do you have the power to raise someone from the dead? I don't. But if the spirit that raised Christ from the dead now dwells in you, wow. Then that same spirit is going to bring life to your mortal bodies. That's what it's saying. Oh, that blows my mind away. What you're saying, God, is this. That this, what do you, people call it a force, a power. It's none of that. It's the Spirit of God that was able to raise someone from the dead now dwells in me. Do you think I'm ever going to be the same? No. Do you think sin is going to hold me in the same way? No. no. Do you think I'm still going to have, be overcome by the same things? No. The thing is this. Your life can never be the same once you know the risen Christ. It can never be the same. And if your life, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ and your life is the same, I would dare to say that the Spirit of God is not in you doing the work that He has to do. So this is it. Your past is dealt with. And when God calls you into faith with His Son, He says, you know what? Your past is dealt with. Listen carefully to this. Your past is dealt with, so please leave your past behind. And now, go on and live life the way I intended for you to live, in peace, joy, and righteousness. Go on and live like that now. Oh, but Lord, I've got still things I need to work on. Yeah, bring them to me, because as you bring them to me, I will deal with them, because this is the power of my spirit bringing life back into your mortal bodies. The Christian isn't called from darkness to go on and play in darkness. They're not called from bondage to go play in bondage. They're called from these things because of the risen Christ to be set free. This is why your past is dealt with. There is nothing greater than to come before God and to know and to know that your sin has been dealt with. I, I, I'm interested because I reckon, I reckon people deal with their past in different ways. If you speak to people, you can probably put them in three categories. There's probably more. But let me briefly explain to you three categories when you speak to people about their past. There are those people who are in absolute despair. They look at you in the face and you look at you, it's like their death warmed up. They're just absolutely despaired. They're just thinking, what, what, what have I done? 
And it breaks my heart when I speak to these people. What have I done? How in the world am I going to get out of this? And there's absolute despair on their face. And, and you just feel for them. And you know that, you know what? I know someone who can bring hope back into your situation. Because he deals with it. And then you speak to some people who aren't quite despaired, but they're nervous. They're a bit nervous that their past is going to catch up with them. And they're sort of walking on eggshells a bit, you know. And, and you feel like saying to them, you've you got to stop living life like this. This is not how Jesus called you to live. The resurrected Christ called you so he could deal with your past, so you can be dealt with. You don't have to walk on eggshells anymore. Go walk on the solid ground. Go walk confidently. Live life the way he intended for you to live. And strangely, we live in a world today where there are people who get excited about their past. I've done this and I've done that. No one knows I've done this. No one knows I've done that. And they get excited about their past, which baffles me because I think to myself, do they have any idea that their past is going to catch up with them? Not even if not in this life, but in the life to come. Their past will catch up with them. And all the cleverness of covering up their past is only a human cleverness because one day all things the Bible says will be exposed. We will be naked before God in terms of what we have done. Nothing will be hid and God will say, what did you do? And to all those people, whether you're in despair, whether you're nervous, or whether you're naively excited, Jesus Christ died and rose again to deal with your past. Come to him and let him deal with it. Come to him and let him wash it. Come to him and let him throw it out so you can go on living life the way he intended you to live. God has sent his son that you could be given life. Though you and I should be punished, that you and I can be given life. I shared a story with you many, many years ago with the church. I want to share it with you again. It's a beautiful story of in the days where tribes existed in Russia. And it's a story in those days there were tribes and the most powerful and the wisest leaders among those tribes looked after the best areas. And so you had different tribes and depending on how powerful, strong and how wise the leaders were, they looked after certain areas of great resources. There was one tribal leader, very strong, physically, very wise, who ruled his area very well. And because of who he was, his word became the law. He said things and people respected that. So he would say things, very noble things like, you honoured and loved your parents. That murder was wrong. Stealing was punishable. Like he had laws that were good for the land. And so you had these laws. And the land was going really well until one day, until one day, they realized someone was stealing. So they brought it before this wise tribal leader and said, someone's stealing. We know someone's stealing. So he introduces a law and he says, you know what? Ten lashes. When that person is caught, ten lashes. Whipped. There was strong whip masters that would crack the whip and whip and 10 lashes but the thieving kept going okay 20 lashes kept going 30 kept going 40 by this stage it was ridiculous because he was probably because of his physical strength he was probably the only one who could endure the lashes everyone else potentially could die under those sort of conditions 40 lashes the thieving kept going until they caught the person person was his mum, frail old lady, it was his mum. You can hear that the town was like, the village was like, what's, gonna, what's he going to do? Is he going to satisfy the law at the expense of his love, his mum, or was he going to satisfy his love at the expense of the law? And people were waging, what was he, he going to do, what's he going to do? No one knows. So the day came of punishment. And they bring his mother into the big arena. They tie her to the pole. They expose her frail back, ready for this whip master to crack his whip. And off he goes with 40 lashes. And the, and the tribal leader's silence. What is he going to do? And everyone's thinking, oh, he's going to satisfy the law. She's got to be punished. 
That's what he's going to do because he's not doing anything. And as the whipmaster goes up to the lady, she goes up and he cracks his whip, ready to give the first one. He says, stop. And they said, ah, oh, he's going to satisfy his love. But what about the law? He goes up to his mum, and as he goes up, he takes off the shirt off his own back, puts his arms around his mum, and exposing his back, he says, proceed. And in doing this, what does he do? He satisfies his love and the law. Okay? What Jesus Christ was very, did was very beautiful. He took the punishment that was yours and mine, but he did it in a way that was justified. He took the punishment that you, your, his love, could go free. Now, think about this for a moment. If that's what he did for me, do I then want to go double back in my sin? No, of course not. My past is dealt with. And out of love and gratefulness and appreciation to the Lord, all I think to myself now is, Lord Jesus, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? Our past is dealt with. If you believe in the resurrected Christ, beloved, I'm telling you the truth this morning. If you believe in the resurrected Christ, you know what it means for your past to be dealt with. Let me give you a second one. If you know the resurrection of Jesus Christ, beloved, you now have a relationship with a person, listen, not a principal. Do you know that? You don't have to go find new principles because you have a relationship with a person now. It's called, not forgiveness, it's called favor. You have found favor with Jesus, the resurrected Christ. And it's not about because you've been more enlightened, all of a sudden you think to yourself, I found a new principle, I found a new principle. No, it's not about that. You can cast your principles out for a moment and consider this. You have found a relationship, not with principles, but with the Savior himself, with Christ. It's a relationship. And if you know the resurrected Christ this morning, I'm telling you the truth, your past has been dealt with, and now you know what it means to have a relationship. When everyone speaks about, I spoke to Jesus, I sang to Jesus, I walked with Jesus, Jesus is with me, you think to yourself, what on earth are they talking about? It's because they have a relationship that's changed their life. That's what the resurrection does. It brings hope back into hopelessness. It gives you a relationship with Jesus. Can you imagine having a relationship with the principal only? Can you imagine a relationship with the principal and you go and you go home and you say, oh, dear principal, um, oh, my principal? That's ridiculous. It's not a principal you have a relationship with, it's with Jesus. Dear Jesus, Lord Jesus, and you speak to him as a relationship. Can you imagine me coming home every night and living life out of a principal? Imagine coming home and saying, hi, my wife, how was your day today? My day was good. I hope your day was good. And then the next day, coming home again. Hi, my wife. How was your day today? I hope your day was good. Mine was good. And the next day, doing the same. It's, that's not how you live life. It's not out of principle. It's relationship. And because I have a relationship with my wife, I come home every day, and my conversation with her every day is different. It's fresh. It's new. It's real. It's based on what really happened in that day. It's based on how we're really feeling. It's based on how what's really going on because it's relationship. And so many people fill the churches today and they live out of principle. They go because they have to go. They go out of duty. They go because they want to tick boxes. They go because people say they have to go. They go because they want to satisfy certain conditions. And they do all these things. And they live out of principle and they have no relationship. And people wonder, why doesn't the Christians live like Christians? Because they have no relationship with Jesus. They're just living by principles. How do you expect a man to sustain principles if there's nothing motivating him out of relationship? And so the churches, sadly, sadly, the churches are filled with hypocrisy. And that breaks my heart. Can you imagine how much it breaks the heart of Jesus? And I believe the world is deserving, is de if I can use that loosely, is deserving of Christians who live authentically. Because that's what Christianity is. And thank God for you. Thank God for you. Who are on a life, uh, an endeavor, path, to live life authentically. To live life knowing your past is dealt with. It's not out of, it's not out of um, principle, but out of relationship. This world it is in a very deep relationship vacuum. It is, people struggle with relationships. I read a quote recently that said this, 
Uh, relational poverty is one of the greatest challenges our culture faces today. These days, we tend to have followers, not friends, likes, not loves, comments, not conversations, crowds, not companions, churches, not communities. We're relationally poor. And Jesus has called us. He's called us to have our past dealt with and now have a relationship with him. And then finally, I'll finish with this, our third one. And I want to take you to Acts chapter 3. And I'll read this and I'll finish up. If our past is dealt with and now our relationship is with a person, not a principle, a third and probably, well, just as important point is now God has called us to a much higher purpose than we've ever experienced before. And in Acts chapter 3, something remarkable had just happened. A man who was born lame. A man who was born not able to walk. Was at the temple begging for money. And in those days, you've got to remember, that was quite significant because um, if you didn't have wasn't able to walk, you weren't able to work, and so you were poor, and you suffered. And so this man would sit at the gate of the temple saying, please help me, please help me. Okay. And so Peter and John come to the temple, and they see this man, and he looks at them hoping (laughs) that they would give him some money. Oh, good Christian blokes, they'll give him some money, you know. But they weren't thinking about the money, they were thinking about what Jesus could do for him. And they say to him, in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And he did. He got up and he walked. <laughs> and they asked this man, what do you prefer, money or the ability to walk? 100% he would have said to walk. Because this is what Jesus does. He restores the soul. He restores lives. And I tell you the truth. When you speak to people who are experiencing brokenness, they're not thinking of money. What they're wanting is a restored soul. A restored soul. And so this man, this man uh, had experienced this. So verse 11, the Bible says, uh, Now, as the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon's, greatly amazed. And when Peter saw it, He responded to the people, Men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why look so intently at us as though by our own power or godliness we made this man walk? (laughs) Why are you staring at us for? Like we're something good. Like we we did this ourselves. The God of Abraham, listen carefully. These words are very, very intentional. The God of Abraham, meaning Abraham's alive. Resurrection. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One and just and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the Prince of Life, whom God raised from the dead, of which we are witnesses. And his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. That's wonderful. The people were surprised and they're amazed. This man was born without the ability to walk. And they said to him, what are you looking at us for? It's not because of us we've done this. This is Jesus. Listen, you can't run away from him. You tried to deny him, he's telling them. Pilate wanted to let him go, but you denied him. You even killed him. He uses the word the prince of life. You even killed the prince of life. But now you can't keep him down because he's risen doing this to a man who was born lame. Friends, the the message is very simple. You can deny the risen Christ as much as you want. You can push it away as long as you want. You can hope it goes away as much as you want. You can even try and kill it as much as you want in your own life. But at the end of the day, the truth is this. Jesus Christ is risen. And if you come to him, the prince of life, he is going to restore your soul. He's going to restore it. He's going to take brokenness and heal it. 
He's going to take the, the, the struggles of sin and set you free. He's going to take brokenness in homes and marriages and redeem them. Relational things and make them better. Because this is the prince of life who is a living and has come back. Though people try and they try to, to deny, they try to kill, but they can't deny the fact that he's alive at work, restoring and giving strength and soundness to those who put their trust in him. Just like this man. It may not be a physical one, but boy, it's certainly a spiritual one. One of the soul, where before there was a sun being unsettled, now there is a soundness of mind, a soundness of hearts, a soundness of life, because the Prince of Life is at work. And so you can choose to continue to be molded by this world. You can choose to be molded by the way the world wants you to live. And you can be driven by these things, but you'll never experience the purpose, the higher purpose, the highest purpose of living the way Jesus wants you to live. This is the resurrected Christ saying, don't live like the world lives. Don't go crawling through life trying to get through the way the world asks you to get through life. Have this, take this, go there, have that person, make sure you visit that place. Don't crawl through life saying, experiencing, saying this is all life is about. You know, meeting the physical of life. But rise up, look up and see the risen Christ and see that he says to you this, that if Christ is risen, those who are risen, set your minds on things above. That's where he is. And start living life the way he intended you to live. The life of joy, the life of peace, the life of righteousness. Because this is not the life that lasts forever. That's not temporary, but eternal. These things that we crawl through life are temporary things. They're going to pass away. But we can live by a life that's molded by the world. You can, you can believe the world that says, um, you know, you'll, you'll, be, you'll find success if you do this or do that. Or a world that says to you that you can be accepted. You can be accepted if you just act like this or if you just have that. Or a world that says to you, you know what, you can fix your problems by doing it this way and that way. Oh, you can fix your problem because you just need to make sure they know that you're upset at them, so hold a grudge. Don't back down. And you'll experience a good resolution to your problem. Really? You can be molded by the world that does these things. But I'm telling you, beloved, because Jesus Christ rose from the dead, and we're called, Christians, we're called to set our minds on things above, that if you're risen with Christ, set your mind on things above... Now you're called to a purpose that is far higher, the highest purpose you can be called to as Christians because you follow a risen Christ. So it's your call. You can go on living life haunted by your past, but I'm telling you, friends, that if you believe in a resurrected Christ, your past is dealt with once and for all. Go on and live life the way he intended you to live. Live freely in him. Not dabbling, not playing with the same sin. Freely in him. A free person. You can live life out of principles, but I'm telling you, you're going to wear yourself out until the new principle comes your way. Live life out of relationship with him. He's a resurrected Christ. And if you hunger this morning, if you thirst this morning to know more about this resurrected Christ that people talk about, then you need to call out to him. You need to call out to him and say, Jesus, this is amazing. If you're alive and you're living, the prince of life who they tried to kill, if you're living today and you want a relationship with me, I want this. I want this. If you're alive, I want to know you. I don't want to rip myself off. I don't want this world to rip me off. To, to somehow degrade your truth into principles. I want a relationship with you. And if you're tired of being molded by the world, do it this way, do it that way, go here, go there, have this, have that. Make sure you do this in life, not that. If you want to, be, if you want to live life, you're sick of being molded by the world, then come. Come to a purpose that is your highest calling in life. Come to a purpose where you walk with Jesus and he calls you to seek the things which are above, the things that are eternal, the things that don't ever end, the things that are relational, 
the things that sometimes we can't see, but that will be there for eternity. Come live the highest purpose in life, the life that he's called you to. And those of you that have trusted the resurrected Christ know exactly what that means, that now you seek the kingdom of God and not the things that are merely and simply of this world that satisfy the physical. And there you have it. If God raises the dead, if God raises the dead, then he calls out to you because he wants to also raise you from a life that is, if you like, deathly to a life now that has got him in your sights, a relationship with him and a purpose that it's its highest purpose. Come deal with your past. Come have a relationship with him. Come experience the good news. He is risen. He is risen. Let me pray for us. Let's pray. Father God, we want to thank you for um, the resurrected Christ. I want to thank you, Lord God, that you've called us out of a world that is just trying to drag us through and mold us into things that really don't satisfy. But as we look to you, Jesus, the one who's risen from the dead, you have a whole other purpose for us. A purpose to take us from um, the, the lowly things of life into your presence. To know you, to have a relationship with you, and to have all our past dealt with. So we pray, Lord God, this, this Easter time that we humbly accept your answer for this world bringing hope into hopelessness. We thank you for your love, Jesus. Only love could do this, that you would go to a cross for us and that you would rise again because you love us, that you would take our punishment just like that leader did to satisfy both your love and law. And Lord, we want to thank you for this. May you continue to bless this day in all our celebrations, always putting you first, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.